This episode of the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast is brought to you by Archipelago Productions' three-part miniseries, Devout and Out. The show follows three LGBTQ individuals who have chosen to become or remain leaders in their respective churches. I've watched through this series twice, and it is easily one of the best series I've seen all year. It's smart, thought-provoking, conversation-launching, funny, heartwarming, and is going to show you a side of Canada you have never seen before. You can watch Devout and Out in Canada on the CBC Gem app or elsewhere in the world on YouTube. Enjoy. After all, there is nothing real outside our perception of reality, is there? If you wish to avoid prosecution, I would advise that you comply with our language laws. This is the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I'm your host today, Becky Shrimpton, and this week, I'm talking to Justine White, director and executive producer of CFC Features. The Canadian Film Centre, or CFC for short, is a hub of creativity, helping to produce some of the strongest talent both in front of and behind the camera that Canada has to offer the world. So I asked Justine to select a few films from the CFC archives, and she brought out some really solid choices, some classics and some I'd never seen, but all pivotal in the evolution of Canadian film and TV. This episode will be in two parts, and we're going to cover three movies this week and two next week. This week, we're looking at the vampire rom-com Blood and Donuts, where a vampire falls in love with a feisty donut shop worker and has to fend off a bunch of mobsters led by a delightfully deadpan David Cronenberg. The viciously beautiful Rhymes for Young Ghouls, where a resourceful and kick-ass young woman in the 70s outsmarts a sadistic Indian agent in order to stay out of residential schools and protect her family and way of life. And the Canadian sci-fi classic, Cube, which features a bunch of random people trapped in a cube trying not to get killed by lasers, traps, and starvation. Every last one of these is great, and I cannot recommend them enough. Almost all of the films are available, fully restored in some cases, on iTunes and streaming services around the world. Those that aren't right now will be very soon. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. We're glad you're here. Please subscribe to the feed, tell your friends, and feel free to check out some of the over 150 episodes in our back catalog. If you really like what we're doing, we also have a Patreon where you can donate to the show to help keep it going. All the info for that can be found on our website at rcmpodcast.com. So, without further ado, here's part one of my chat with Justine White. You've been around since the beginning. Oh my God, have I. Yes, I, it's funny because I feel so privileged. Like, it's just been an, an amazing 25 plus years of uh, living my joy. Making cool things and helping people make cool things and putting it out into the universe, making sure it's seen, which is like yeah. 90% of the issue of Canadian yeah. film. Yeah, totally, totally. And and doing it in an environment, uh, you know, that's up here in Toronto at the old E.P. Taylor estate. It couldn't get any better which yeah. is kind of scary. Or maybe, hopefully it can get better. No, it will. It will get better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> talk to me about what you do. How did you start? How did you end up there? And let's talk a little bit about the CFC. Uh, well, how I ended up here um, was actually, I started here in 1992. And I ended up here because um, 
you, you know, I think it was Peter O'Brien first started this, who was a producer and filmmaker in his own right and was the former ED here at the at the film center. Everyone's goal at the film center who was attending in terms of the writers, directors and producers at the time. And that was to make a feature. So, you know, for them, it was, it was really important to try and create an avenue and an opportunity to do that. Almost the ultimate graduate program, for lack of a better term. Alex Raffi, who was a producer and filmmaker in her own right as well, was brought on to sort of come up with an idea and how can the film center make this possible? And she had done I've Heard the Mermaid Singing. And uh, then Wayne Clarkson joined on as the film center's ED. He came from TIFF, uh, what was uh, now Ontario Creates and used to be called the OFDC. And this it took a long time for this idea for the feature film project, as it was formerly known, to get off the ground. And um, a lot of smart people coming together, um, involving a lot of unions and guilds just to access to services and you know skills, workers, all of it, and then money as well. And Colin Brunton was brought on uh, to oversee this program. And he was the producer of Roadkill and Highway 61. Now, I used to work at Cinephile, which was a distribution company and world sales company, I guess, from 1987-ish to 1992. And that's where I met Colin because I worked with him and Bruce on Highway 61 on the distribution and world sales of that. And same with them. I've heard the mermaids singing with Patricia and Alex. And they asked Colin to come and head it up because Roadkill and Highway 61 were on such a, a trajectory. And, uh, the, you know, he, he could have one person come with him to help him do that. And the first person he thought of was me. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Because, yeah, because of all the work that um, we had done together on that film or his films, I said yes right away because everything I love doing at Cinephile involved first-time emerging filmmakers. And I think at the time, Telefilm was only going to be doing one or two films by first-time filmmakers. And that was just like, oh, my God you know, that sounds crazy because there seemed to be just this incredible wave in the late 80s, early 90s of Canadian filmmakers that were known around the world and just beginning to be known at home. Well, we just talked about this with Sheila McCarthy and I've heard The Mermaid singing because she was like, this was the beginning of the new wave. That's the film that really cracked things open because it ended up at Cannes and getting a six-minute standing ovation and everyone was yeah. like, oh, Canada makes movies. Who knew? Yeah. And then yeah. you're talking about Bruce and then Don McKellar comes on and then you get like, like that was just such a huge wave and then of course Mike Harris comes in. But at that time, yes, it I was... I remember that, yeah. Uh, but at this time, like, I mean, the, what what a freaking dream. This could have been like the big new wave like French cinema. And it, well, it... It felt like it. It was. I mean, because, you know, there was I worked on uh, Tales from the Gimli Hospital, uh, Archangel, Careful, like so it was Guy Madden, Bruce McDonald, uh, Patricia Rosema. You know, we had other not just Canadian emerging talent. There was Peter Mettler, uh, who's also Canadian. There were a whole bunch of uh, Bill McGivry life classes. But we had like um, Paris is Burning with Jenny Livingston and Whit Stillman's Metropolitan. So it was just like it was just that. There is something very special about the first anything you do, you know, the first film, uh, your first time you drive a car, your first boyfriend, you know, it, like it just firsts are very special. And there's a certain passion and energy that I guess I think I, I've become quite hooked to or hooked on. And that's sort of how I got here. I mean, it's always been a small uh, department. And I guess I oversee when I first started, it was just a two, Colin and I and, and, and he was uh, the executive producer, director of the program. He left, I think, in the middle of 
Cube or just when we were posting Cube and a few other people took over. But I was always overseeing the day-to-day operations of the program, the contracting, the funding, the relationships with all of the unions and guilds, overseeing the applications, the outreach, working with the residents that went through the film center. Because when we first started, it was only open to graduates of the film center. And we actually fought really hard to change that because it was such a small pool at the time in 1992. I think it was only like under 100 grads and we wanted to open it up so that, you know, one of the two or one of the three positions had to be a grad, like a writer, director and producer. Because it's almost like a mini production house is kind of how it yes. works. But you're you're producing stuff on a global scale to compete on the global market and you're competing yeah. incredibly well. Yes, that was no one expected that actually. I mean, when we first came out, I think it was 1995, we had our first three films all in the same year at TIFF in 1995. It was Blood and Donuts, Rude, and House by Laurie Lind, who just had um, Patient Zero, um, his doc premiere uh, this year at at Hot Docs. Um, But yeah, it was amazing. You know, Rude opened uh, Perspective Canada on the Friday night, Uh, Blood and Donuts played the Saturday night, and House played the Sunday night, and that was, and Rude on the heels of Cannes as well in a certain regard. Um, and the first all-black above-the-line film ever made in Canada. Um, we were on quite a high, that's for sure. This episode of the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast is brought to you by Archipelago Productions. For over 15 years, the team at Archipelago have been making groundbreaking and award-winning films, television, and corporate video. For brands like Google, Netflix, Etsy, Time Magazine, and the University of Toronto. Visit archipelagoproductions.ca to find out how they can help you elevate and execute your next video project. Let's start out with Blood and Donuts, which you brought out from 1995. Now, this was technically, according to the internet, the first feature that you guys produced. That's correct. And this was the first one you worked on as well. What were the expectations of this? And how did you go about producing and marketing it to throw it over to TIFF? Was that always the intention? Oh, it was always the intention. I mean, it was. we were looking for films... Um, that were made for the big screen. And, and, you know, 1992, 93, 94, 95 was a very different time, technically speaking. Um, I mean, you did not have the digital technology that you do today. So there were things like shooting ratios and it was 35 millimeter and Steenbeck editing. Um, and, you know, we were looking to compete in uh, the the commercial marketplace, that was the ultimate goal. How we started with the when we first started, Colin and I. I mean, we immersed ourselves in all the short films that the residents had done, and with Blood and Donuts, it was interesting. You know, we we had a huge amount of press too when this opened up because first time filmmakers, emerging filmmakers, really were getting a lot of attention and making a lot of noise. So there was a lot of excitement around what would come out of this. So we got tons of submissions and we got this crazy script that was actually typed out on an old uh, Underwood typewriter. So like it wasn't on a computer. It was called Blood and Donuts. It was about Boya, this vampire. And it looked like it had been typed by a vampire. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. And it was like, but this, and the script was just so amazing. And I mean, we had a number, uh, like hundreds of scripts come in actually, but this script really stood out. And at the same time, we were familiarizing ourselves with all of the work that the um, directors, writers, and producers had done. 
Polydale's uh, Blood and Donuts, it's a genre film. It's a vampire film. Yes, it's a little dated in terms of the special effects, but it actually works. It's fun for, for that reason. And it's actually a film that I feel like I would love to actually remake too in terms of today's technology and how liberating that technology is in terms of creating the whimsical, the magical at a, at a really affordable <laughs> point, which we didn't have at our disposal in, in 1994 at the film center. Holly Dale's short film, uh, Dead Meat, which she actually did at the film center as one of her final production exercises or short films that people came out of the film center with. And I think for her too, it was her first sort of real narrative short because she had done tons of docs. She had done P4W, Prison for Women, and Hookers on Davy, which were two really well-regarded um, and gritty docs that sort of gave everyone a peek into worlds that weren't known. Um, so she was perfect to do a romantic vampire film, right? Yeah. Like, she, she was ready. <laughs> well, well, this this short was incredible. I mean, the like, as soon as it started, she had you locked in. So we knew, okay, well, okay, we've got this amazing script, this, this screenwriter who really didn't know anyone in the film industry. There was another film as well called... Um, Oh, God, what was it called? I'm trying to remember the name of it now. I can't believe I'm forgetting this. It was John Fawcett's um, short film that he did through the Film Center. Anyway, Steve Hoban had produced it. And we got these three people together. Steve Hoban, who went on to do a number of things, Ginger Staff, Vincenzo's, uh, a number of Vincenzo's um, films after Cube. And Blood and Donuts became a thing. There was a lot of development. I think we spent a probably a year working on the script with uh, everyone. And it was the craziest, scariest, uh, best shoot <laughs> I've ever had. Um, we shot it over five weeks in Toronto. Wow. We had, I think, $325,000 in cash and the same in deferrals. It was, it was again, it was my first time being involved in the production of a film. It wasn't Colin's. Colin had done a number of films on his own and as a PM and line producer. And it, it, was, it was just a lot of fun. And there was so much passion behind it too. And I guess it's so important is just sort of to explain that short film sensibilities, the, the sort of the grittiness of it, you know, doing something different and how that led to uh, her first feature, which she really wanted to do. This is about a vampire that falls in love with a, uh, a donut shop worker and the mafia that is after this cab driver who's also in love with the woman who's running the donut shop because everybody loves her because she's great. I think my favorite part of this is the Cronenberg role because yes. he's so great and he's so dry and he's so funny and he gets it. And and I mean, any Cronenberg completist is going to want to check this one out. What kind of uh, response were you getting from like the old guard of Canadian filmmakers like Cronenberg? Obviously, they were supportive. Was that sort of the feeling of this for uh, young emerging filmmakers? Oh, yeah, 100 percent. I mean, you know, we reached out. Uh, Holly and Colin wrote, uh, you know, a, a, a really heartfelt letter to him and gave him the screenplay. And he read the screenplay. And based on that, you know, having sort of come up himself in his own way uh was really supportive and we were he he he, he took the bait he 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 liked the script he liked uh what we were doing and and he joined on and it was uh definitely provided a lot of momentum um and it helped because i mean most of the cast that we worked with were fairly unknown so just to have Cronenberg's involvement got people to take us a little more seriously yeah. 
And then Holly went on to direct a ton of television. I mean, she yes. went to Dexter, The Americans, The New X-Files, Mary mm-hmm. Kills People. Like, it's mm-hmm. ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So how does the CFC prepare people if they're making a feature to kind of move into other sort of areas? I mean, we're going to talk about uh, Clement Virgo in a minute and his television access. How is really by giving them the opportunity just to do it and to prove their worth. Um, and, you, you know, uh, Step, it's a stepping stone. Um, you know, I think there's another film that you might have uh, talked about on the podcast called Rhymes for Young Ghouls, mm-hmm. which was Jeff Barnaby. And I mean, I, I like using that as an example, too, because, you know, I first became aware of him uh, at a TIFF pitch this um, where he got honorable mention. And I think that was in 2007. And I remember thinking, oh, boy, this guy is a little intense, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm not, not sure what to think about that. But his idea and concept was amazing. And then we got the submission, uh, and I think it was in 2009, uh, and it was something that he was going to co-write and co-direct with another filmmaker. And I saw his short films, and it was, I think, Colony, and um, or the first one was from Cherry English, and then The Colony, and they blew me away. And it was like, oh, my God, I've got to work with this guy. And he had this script called Blood Quantum. Blood Quantum, he's just finished and will be showing a TIFF this year. It was huge. It was, it, you know, it's it, and it was, it's it, he made it. It was, you know, it, it was a easily a four to eight million dollar f- uh, film, which we just did not do. We, we are at a million and under or a million and just over. But both of his shorts were such home runs. And it was like, okay, this is clearly someone that we have to support much like we did with Holly, much like we did with Clint. But there was no way we could relate to Blood Quantum. And it was like, okay, look, I have five years and five films. And you are someone that I would like to be able to support. You've clearly got talent. Let's make this happen. And, you know, for me, it was like daring him to write his you know, version of dazed and confused, something that Mm. could be done on a lower scale, like where's your walkie talkie, like, you know, and that's what he was so good at was dialogue and characters and worlds. And that's how Rhymes for Young Ghouls was born, specifically saying, like, I have this window, this opportunity, and I really want you to be one of those five people. And, And Rhymes for Young Ghouls was his stepping stone to blood quantum, yeah. And it's, if you know it's, what I mean. Oh, entirely. Yeah. Because yeah. It, it, it's almost like a proof of concept because it's like, look how exactly. he marries the visuals because the visuals and the storytelling of Rhymes for Young Ghouls are just devastating. And then Blood Quantum is a zombie movie, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. Yep. So it yep. seems like the, the, it kind of flows naturally in from one into the other with those visuals and with that violence and the but the handling of the violence in a way that's intense. You don't see it coming, but it's so tied into the narrative and so necessary, which makes it even more disturbing. And I can I honestly can't wait for Blood Quantum. I'm so excited. Me too. And and that's the most satisfying thing, too, is when, you know, when you see short, and that's for me, too, like when you see short films like Hollydale's Dead Meat, Clement Virgo's Save My Lost Nigger Soul, you know, Jeff Barnaby's From Cherry English, The Colony, and I think when I finally pushed him hard, he had just done File Under Miscellaneous, but those shorts where it's like, I want to see more. And then to be able to help that filmmaker, you know, realize their feature and, you know, end that and go, wow, I can't wait to see their next film. I mean, and that, you know, Jeff Barnaby is a really good example of that. So that that's, I mean, I think there are many ways the Film Center helps uh, filmmakers in their careers. Um, but I think one of the most important ways of doing that is to pre- be able to provide them with the opportunity 
to show the world what they're capable of and exercise that muscle and, uh, you know, their craft in terms of building on that, it, you know, in the most supportive environment possible, providing them with safe spaces, challenging them as well, which can be very difficult in a, in a fine line to walk, but uh, no better way than to just do it. And now is the perfect time to talk about Cube because I feel like uh, that's one of those, let's just do it. And uh, you basically produced a $6 million movie for $300,000. Do you still have nightmares about that? Yes. <laughs> yes. So. About all of them. I mean, even, you know, even still to this day, yeah, like all of them. You know, it's funny because, you know, some films I still were making for, for $600 or sorry, $600,000. It feels like $600. And, you know, this is 25 years later. So that 300000 because of it if you look at inflation and we're still doing a lot with not much. Um, but I mean, again, that's what boils, that's the first time, first timer energy and passion and commitment where there's a real desire to say something and do something. And okay, there's a funny connection between blood and donuts, David Cronenberg and Vincenzo in the sense that Vincenzo was the storyboard artist on blood and donuts. Mm. And he's an incredible illustrator and uh, he was actually our stand-in for David Cronenberg. <laughs> Did they have the same haircut? Is that what this yes. is? Okay. <laughs> Silhouette-wise. But anyway, so that's just a little bit of, uh, I guess, trivia um, there in a weird way. But, you know, Vincenzo was another person. I mean, I guess he, he became aware of, of what was the feature film project and is now CFC Features through his work on, on Blood and Donuts as the storyboard artist, decided to do his best to get into the film center as a filmmaker and he did and he had this script cube which he had submitted to us uh, a number of times and it was just like okay you know wow uh, six people in a cube you know that's really tough a feature you can get people into the theater with it you know Hitchcock can do it with Lifeboat but who who are you what you know what have you done and he really hadn't done anything um and so at the film center for him what was important because he really wanted to do Cube with the film center and CFC features um he created a short film called Elevated which was about three people in an elevator and as soon as we saw that film we knew okay, proof of concept once again, this is someone who can do cube. So, you know, I think we had a couple of conditions was like, how the heck are we going to create this cube? And again, this was in 1996 when CGI was just coming out and uh, do a little bit of work with um, a story editor in terms of character work. And that's how Graham Manson came on board, who was involved with um, Orphan Black, actually all kinds of again, foreshadowing of different talent that were involved with Cube that went on and, and Graham Manson was one. And, oh, Karen Walton worked on this too, didn't she? Uh, no, uh, not on Cube, um, but she worked with Steve Hoban and John Fawcett on Ginger Snaps. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, because I have her, according to the internet, she worked on Elevated as well and helped him out. Uh, yes, with... on Elevated. Yes, she did work on Elevated okay, uh, on that, but not on Cube. Okay. And, but but again, the proof was in the pudding with Elevated and Cube became like, it was like, yep, no brainer, we're done. You know, if you can show us how you're going to make these cubes and make it work. And that's when Core Digital came on board, who Vincenzo has worked with Bob Monroe since. It, it, that's how that happened. 
And that's it for this week's episode. Remember to join us next week for part two of this conversation. The easiest way to do that, if you haven't already, is to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, however you happen to be listening to this podcast. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. If you like what we're doing, please remember to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcatcher. It helps people find our podcast and Canadian media they love. Come chat with us at RCM Pod on Facebook or on Twitter at RCM Pod. Our theme song is by Craig Stewart and our show art is by Paul Stachniak. Join us next week for another great film from the wilds of Canadian cinema.